Exodus chapter 33, beginning to read at verse 12. Moses and the glory of the Lord. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back. But my face must not be seen. The second reading, John chapter 1, beginning to read at verse 10. He, Jesus, was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him, He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, 
He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May I speak in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. It would be helpful if you had those two passages uh, in front of you as we think about them over the next few minutes. Just before Christmas, the Archbishop of Canterbury uh, was the guest on Desert Island Discs. Amidst all the changes and chances of this fleeting world, like the archers, Desert Island Discs is the one of the sure factors. And if you're Archbishop of Canterbury, they're going to get you in the end. It's an opportunity for a distinguished guest to let his hair down and perhaps say something significant about their life in a light-hearted context. One of the very personal comments the Archbishop made was about the death of his daughter, Joanna, some 30 years ago, who died in a road traffic accident long before her first birthday. And he said of this, it's just the constant reminder of the uncertainty of life. The only certainty of this life is Christ. Everything else is, if you read the Times, contention. If you read the Church Times, contingent. That, again, is one of the uncertainties of this life, which we'll be thinking about in a moment. So where, in the uncertainty of our lives, with all the pressures and traumas, the temptations and failures, decay and diversion which swirl around us and touch all of us, but in many different ways, where are we to find the kind of certainty which the Archbishop is speaking of. How are we truly to base our lives on this certainty? Where are we going to find the epiphany which we celebrate today, the manifestation of the glory of the Lord? The only certainty is Christ. So let's start with that passage in the Old Testament in Exodus 33 and see the way in which God revealed himself and his glory, the certainty of his being, to Moses. Many years ago, uh, we as a family had a a holiday on a campsite at the foot of the north face of the Eiger. Don't worry, there was never any question of us climbing it, Uh, but it was breathtaking even just to stand at the bottom and look up at the near vertical side of this immense mountain, dark and brooding. And we could see the tiny figures of climbers working away to move inch by inch 
or foot by foot towards the summit. And all the time, bits of the mountain, rock and ice were falling and liable to hit the climber. And being on the north side, there was never any sun, but the wind and the weather were always on the change, usually for the worse. One false step would be fatal and had been for many a climber over the years. Physically, the climber lives in a world of total uncertainty, even for spectators like us. It brought us face to face with the reality of the power of the mountain and the relative insignificance of mankind. So now come with me uh, to the foot of Mount Sinai. God's people went to Sinai to get away from the pressures of their daily existence and to go to a place associated with God where God might be found. Moses must have felt a deep sense of awe as he came into the presence of God at Sinai, realising the greatness and the holiness and the otherness of this God and at the same time the depth of his own humanity and his total inadequacy to perform the role that he was being asked to play in leading uh, through the long hostility of the desert the people who were increasingly demanding and rebellious. And then from time to time there was thunder and lightning as they heard the voice of their God, the God who spoke to them. And on the mountain rested the great cloud, which was to hide the consuming brightness of his glory, which otherwise would have uh, consumed them. And out of his fear, Moses heard this promise in verse 14. My presence will go with you. Yes, you will continue to experience hunger and burning thirst. You will know fear and frustration and doubt. You will be attacked. You will know disease and death. For these are the nature of, our, of the uncertain lives that we lead. But my presence will always go with you. So not only was the revelation to Moses of the nature of God's power and authority, but also of his love and salvation. In chapter 34, verse 6, he was revealed as the God who knew their weakness and fear and sin, and yet is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So this shattering and unique epiphany was, you might think, an experience no one would ever forget. It was intended by God that it would be a formative experience determining the nature and role of the nation 
from that time forward. Epiphany is not an end in itself, but it is a means of defining and inspiring and enabling God's people. But the experience slipped into the past, and in the pressures of nomadic life, the desire to live like their neighbours, and the fallibility of human nature, the epiphany of Sinai became history. And so we turn to the New Testament, back to John chapter 1. What do we find there about epiphany, about the revelation of God's glory? The epiphany that we remember at this time of year is, of course, the mysterious but deeply significant event in which those strange figures from the East, coming from a quite different cultural background, with their eyes fixed on the star that they were following, until the star stopped over the place of Jesus' birth, and they stopped with it. And there they met the child in the arms of Mary, and they knelt down and worshipped. And they offered him their gifts, gold, to signify his royal status, for this child will bring in a new and a different kingdom. Frankincense for his divinity, for though he was in human form, he was above all Emmanuel, God, with us. And myrrh, suggesting that suffering was close to the heart of his mission. But any manifestation of his nature here is of a quite different order to that of Exodus 33. The canvas now is not the awesomeness of the mountain range. What is heard is no longer the rumbling, crashing thunder of the mountains, but something nearer to a still, small voice from beyond. And in the rush of life, the signs were easily misheard or missed altogether. The glory of his birth was its humility. The heavenly announcement came to Mary alone as in the night she met her angelic visitor. The birth occurred in the inhospitable surroundings of the inn and the manger, with a young unknown girl at the centre, unnoticed by the crowds outside. And the public display of the coming birth was to the group of lowly shepherds on duty with their sheep in the remoteness and the darkness of their fields. But in that darkness and silence, God's glory was coming. God's glory was being revealed to the world. His self-emptying and his love were being realized. And by that coming, his people again would be defined and challenged, strengthened and sent. But, God, uh, but John's Gospel gives us another angle, another reflection on the manifestation of this coming glory. In the beginning was the Word. At this point, and I'm afraid uh, it's true that I'm a lawyer, 
but the lawyer within me begins to think about the uncertainty of a word. A word may be true or it may be untrue. It may be said or unsaid, withdrawn, retracted or denied. A word has to be evaluated according to who speaks it. The word of a woman in many cultures is deemed to be less reliable than that of a man. We live still in a sexist world. And the world of a slave, of course, is of no value at all compared with that of a freeman. An Englishman's word, it used to be said, was his bond. Whose word it is, is critical to our judgment as to its value. A human word is usually uncertain, part of the general uncertainty of life. But this word is like no other, for it was a word with God, and indeed it was God, not merely a voice, but a person, revealing the very nature of God himself, revealed finally in its full beauty on the cross. If we're looking for certainty in this uncertain world, where else should we find it? And the human heart needs to be firmly rooted if it is to be set to deal with the pressures and the uncertainties of human existence. And the word is available to all who will listen, not just to the great or the wise of the nation, revealing the eternal nature and wisdom of God and his gracious forgiveness, his grace and his truth, his glory. For the Jewish audience to whom John was writing, John goes on to emphasize the reality of this word above every other messenger from God, even the greatest figure in their national history, Moses. Moses, the one who was God's servant to bring them freedom and lead them to the gates of the promised land. The one who'd been up on the mountain, hidden in the cloud with God, and who had seen God's glory, albeit a limited one, due to the restrictive nature of his humanity. Moses, who'd been the one to bring them the law they valued, the law which defined them and which they were to live by. Yet the law was not enough. Grace and truth were to be found not in the law, but only through Jesus Christ. Nor was grace and truth to be found in the latest of the long line of prophets who had been sent by God, culminating in John the Baptist. Surely the Baptist was a man of God indeed, a servant of God. His preaching of the need for holiness and forgiveness, the reality of presence of God in his life, were what moved so many to find the reality of God and be changed by that reality. Surely no one could have done more to highlight the essential difference between the formality and the emptiness of the law and religious practice and the reality of true faith. Yet no, it wasn't enough. John came only as the forerunner to announce the coming of one who was to come after him and yet who surpassed him 
as he came before him. Indeed, this word was not merely before John the Baptist, but he was with God in the beginning in creation. What John the Evangelist is making absolutely clear to his readers is that the strongest cultural or religious handles have no power or no adequate power to be our guide through the uncertainties of life, but only Jesus, the Word made flesh. So that when some disaster hits us, some tragedy like the death of a child, that death is no less a loss. But even in this darkness, there is hope and meaning because in him, the word, lie grace and truth. Yes, here is truth, for it is utterly reliable, utterly trustworthy. It is rooted in eternity and in God himself. Unlike the transience of human existence, here is the rock on which we can indeed build our lives the unshakable word, the foundation that will withstand the storms and the pressures of the powerful forces which wash over and around us. So it's no surprise that in his gospel, John has Jesus saying, I am the truth as well as the way and the life. And it's that truth which sets us free from the chains of our mortality. But here also lies not only truth, but grace. For grace is the very nature of God. It is at the heart of the gospel. It is the reality, or by faith we may say the certainty, of which the Archbishop spoke and which we must hold on to. It is the light shining in the darkness which pervades our fallen world and which we reach out for and must work to preserve. It is salvation, and it is life. John the Evangelist speaks of the availability of this word made flesh. Look at verse 16. This manifestation of God's grace is a word of blessing we have all received. Moses asked, as you will remember, if he, and he meant he personally, might be shown the glory of God and is told that no one may see my face and live. Moses must be hidden in a fissure of the rock so that he will get only a fleeting image of the glory of God and he is granted that vision. But for us living after Christ, all we can all see in Christ the revelation of the mystery of God, who is both grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known, verse 18. But for all the glory of God, John places what he has to say in the context of ongoing conflict, the eternal struggle between on the one hand the power of light, the glory of the gospel, the wonder of nativity, the culmination of the cross, and on the other hand the darkness realized in our human condition in which we all share. 
is between the life and healing and salvation represented by Jesus the Word and the ignorance and the darkness and hostility around us which seeks to extinguish it. So the Word is spoken but often remains unheard, visible yet is often overlooked, shining but yet not comprehended. It is this proneness not to see what we most need to be aware of which astonishes and indeed outrages John the Evangelist. He, the Word, the Light, was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. The professional religious the trained experts in the law, the chosen people, uh, found him an unacceptable challenge and would not rest until they manipulated the powers that be to put an end to this intrusive life. So his own people, who knew the prophecies of Messiah and the suffering servant, were largely blind to the light which illuminated him. This failure to perceive the glory of the coming of the Lord is always a threat to the church in every generation. It's the God of this world who blinds the eyes of belief, who would draw us off down other byways and false paths, which appear attractive but may lead us away from the true purpose for which we are made. Often it was the poor and those most in need who did come to Jesus and find a loving response and believed and he accepted them. And he gave to those he did, who did respond, who received him and believed in him, he gave the right to enter into a new relationship, to find a new family, to become children of God and finding him they would find life. The turning of the year is one of those opportunities we are presented with to examine ourselves and our lives so that we can measure whether for us the light of God's glory displayed in Jesus the Word is the transforming power it was intended to be. May we hear the still, small voice of God speaking to us in the cacophony of the world around us. Does the revelation of God's glory define our lives and transform the way we are? Does it shape our ambitions and challenge our weaknesses and set the agenda for our daily tasks? Does it lead us to prayer and the study of the scriptures? Does it help us to identify and resist the attacks of the evil one? Do our lives and the life of the church in any way manifest the glory of God to the world of which we are part? The promise of Moses, uh, to Moses in Exodus 33, my presence will go with you, is by the Spirit a promise to every servant of the Lord in his life mission. It's a promise to take into 2015, giving us his power and his wisdom 
if we're humble enough to hear it. So may he give us an epiphany, an awareness of his presence, so that we may see the glory of God in the word made flesh and know the glory of God in his presence with us and live by the only certainty in this life, which is Christ. Amen.